0: Two readings, one from the Old Testament from Deuteronomy 5, verse 12, and then from Jesus' comments on it in Matthew 11. Right. From the Old Testament. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all the work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither your sons, nor your daughter, nor your male, nor your female servants, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns, so so that your male and your female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out with a a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded that you observe the Sabbath day. And in Matthew, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father Lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them unto little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All these things have been shown me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom he has chosen to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdensome, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy And my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick up some heads of grain and to eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus answered them, haven't you read that when David did, when he and his companions were hungry, he entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath day in the temple do exercise the Sabbath and yet they are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known What the words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from there, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you had a sheep and it falls into a a pit on the Sabbath, would you not lift it out? And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man with the shriveled hand, stretch out your hand, so he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other one. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus.
1: Well, hello everyone. Uh, My name's Scott. I'm one of the ministers from St. Matthew. So good to be with you today. Now, I remember as a child in 1988 going to something called Expo 88 in Brisbane back in the day when we were allowed to travel to Queensland. And some of you might remember Expo 88. Some of you would have gone to Expo 88, no doubt. Some of you will be thinking 1988 wasn't that the year the first fleet sailed into Sydney Harbour. No, that was actually 1788. And no, I wasn't around for that. I'm talking 1988, the bicentennial celebration of European settlement or invasion, if that's your politics. And Expo 88, which attracted 16 million visitors to Brisbane was a kind of a combination of a theme park and a big convention built on the south bank of the Brisbane River. It had a monorail, lots of halls and pavilions and each country had a pavilion that kind of showcased their country to the rest of the world so the japanese built a a japanese pond garden and nepal had a nepalese peace pagoda and i think the canadian and kiwi pavilions were good because those two countries can seriously never do anything wrong and the theme of expo 88 was leisure in the age of technology leisure in the age of technology. And so every country on earth had a go of interpreting how well rested we were all gonna be in the future with all the benefits of technological advance. Naturally, they all got it wrong. No one had predicted the smartphone. They were all obsessing over personal robots that would do your vacuuming for you and bring you drinks. But all of them assumed that as technology advanced, we'd all have so much time for leisure We'd all live a well-rested life. Well, how wrong they were. Technology has advanced, but it hasn't left us well-rested at all, has it? It's quite the reverse. It's sped up just about every aspect of life, but I guess it wouldn't have been great marketing calling it stress in the age of technology or mouth ulcers in the age of technology. But we all just assumed that technological and cultural advance would equal more leisure and better rest but quite the opposite has happened everything has sped up we're almost always in a hurry we count down every working week so we can get to the weekend but they're often no better just a different brand or form of hustle bustle and stress and if we're Christians We read the story about the Pharisees' obsession with keeping the Sabbath free from work and we think, gee, what a bunch of idiots they are. They just don't get it. And we don't get the complete irony of us saying that at all. Well, today we're talking about rest. That is the idea or the concept of the day. And the practice or habit that we're gonna zero in on is Sabbath. Now, each week in this What Are You Doing? series, we unpack an idea or a concept from Scripture, and you can see them there. And then we ground it in a spiritual discipline, or what we're calling a godly habit, and you can see them all there. And the aim is that these will help us to be with Jesus, spend time with Jesus, to become like Jesus and to serve Jesus in the world. And so last week we looked at the the idea of being present with Jesus, the idea of presence. And we grounded that in the habit of silence and solitude and prayer. Well, today we're thinking about the idea of rest and it's grounded in the habit of Sabbath. And so we start today by seeing that when we rest, In the first instance it's because god rested from his work that is with god there was a a rhythm of work and rest and so we rest because he first rested he built that pattern of work and rest into the fabric of creation and so we are somewhat like him in that respect you see in the opening account of creation at the culmination of god's creative working week he enters rest By the seventh day, God had finished the work he has been doing. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all his work of creating. Isn't it interesting that God who does not get tired still entered rest? It's the rest of completion, of enjoyment, of peace. It's not a rest of necessity but the rest of blessing. And when Israel was first given the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, they were instructed to keep the Sabbath based on God's rest in Genesis. So we enter that same rhythm of work and rest as God did. He's he's built that into creation. But secondly, we rest from our work, whatever it is, whether it's paid or unpaid, voluntary, whether it's study, community service, whatever it might be, we rest from our work because it's good for us to rest from our work in fact we rest because we need rest and this reminds us that we're quite unlike god because he does not need to rest because he does not get tired and yet we do get tired and so we rest because we need to rest and in that reading from matthew today uh, we see that the issue of sabbath really had become perhaps the the major bone of contention between jesus and the pharisees a whole strata of tradition had emerged around the sabbath so that what seemed like a pretty basic idea have a day of rest once a week became a legal nightmare with a rigid structure surrounded what constituted work and rest so much so that keeping the sabbath rest seemed like a whole lot more work than rest and the practice of Sabbath became a genuine flashpoint for Jesus' interaction with the Jewish religious hierarchy. And so you can see that in today's reading, Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. By the end, the Pharisees start plotting on how they might kill Jesus. But Jesus' words to them in verse 8 are instructive. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, your rules are your rules. And they don't apply to me. If I want to do good on the Sabbath like heal someone like feed my gang I will do that your rules are your rules and by the way they don't apply to my followers either you know that in the the parallel passage in Mark's gospel Mark includes a further sentence from Jesus Mark 2 verse 27 which says the Sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath that is the sabbath was a gift to humanity for its well-being it wasn't meant to be another hassle to add to the hardship of work god knows that we need a break from our work we need to rest we need to give our bodies a chance to catch up after the demands of a busy week whatever work our week has constituted and as our work becomes increasingly about knowledge and service and innovation rather than say the repetitive toil the physical kind of work of farm or factory, it gives our minds an opportunity to recover as well. Rest helps us to work better and numerous studies have shown that a lack of rest leads to declining productivity and usually, well, the breakdown of our bodies. But we don't just rest so that we can be recharged for more work. Rest allows us more margin some buffer in our life it it prevents work from becoming all of our lives or occupying a greater significance in our lives than it really ought to rest just it stops work from creeping in until it takes up not just our best energies but all of our energy and that is rest is not just supposed to make us more energized and productive it's meant to challenge our obsession with being energized and productive and a weekly rest means that we go no more than seven days without a chance to recalibrate our lives so that the most urgent is not always pushing the most important out of the way or further down the agenda and of course rest draws our eyes up from our desk or up from our screen or the kitchen bench, or the workbench, or whatever it is, up to God. It it broadens our world by pushing us to see that we're part of a greater story that encapsulates God's eternal plans, so much greater than just our weekly to-do list. And that's why part of rest ought to include getting together with other believers so we can tell and retell one another the great eternal gospel story that we're all caught up with. And when you think about rest like this, it becomes rebellious and naughty and subversive but in any case we rest because it's good for us because we need to because we're not like god who never tires well thirdly today we rest from what some have called the work under the work now i didn't come up with that phrasing which i had of but basically i'm saying that if we don't rest well we'll do exactly What our time in Ecclesiastes proved was both foolish and meaningless. We'll make our work our idol. Our busyness will become the way we justify our existence. We'll trick ourselves into functionally believing that we're saved by completing our to-do list or by always being on the go, by getting things done. Our relentless activity will be the thing that we devote ourselves to fully because we believe it's the thing that brings us ultimate satisfaction and meaning and purpose and legacy which of course it cannot i mean let me put it this way what are you actually saying when you take some time off you're saying that you believe it is god who makes the world keep spinning not you your own good efforts and your specialised skill set. You are humbly recognising that though your efforts count, and my goodness, they do, they really do, they are not the things that count the most. You're saying that you trust God to provide for your needs and the needs of your family. I mean, not necessarily to get that promotion, to find the blockbuster product, that, that niche in the market, that new technology, that medical breakthrough, to produce the model child, or whatever it is that you're working on. But to rest is an an act of trust, isn't it? Where we pause not only from teaching, banking, caring, facilitating every possible opportunity known to humanity for your children because you're afraid they might miss out on something. It's to say, actually, I'm not that important. What I do is not that important. My time is not that valuable. And you know what it it doesn't matter because the most important thing is that i matter to god and he thinks i'm valuable just because he does and so we rest from the work under the work the work of relying on ourselves our efforts our proficiency to provide for ourselves and our deep and abiding sense that we need to justify our existence and importance by never stopping. To put it in the terms of uh, this diagram that we've been using, which really just describes the, the things that influence us or disciple us, that's the stories our culture tells us, the company that we keep and the habits that we have formed, rest actually gives us an opportunity to challenge the stories that our culture tells us. That story that says, if you stop, You will miss out if you stop you will fail if you stop everything will all fall apart when Jesus says which you would have heard in our reading today come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest He's not just offering himself to be a drinks break I've got some Gatorade that will get you back to work quickly I've got some energy bars and some hydrolyte drinks to refuel your recovery as quickly as possible you know what he's saying is I can relieve you from all that burden that thing or those things by which you impress yourself and others that you are important that thing which in practice has become your salvation i can give you rest from all that burden you know uh, the first time that god gave the israelites the sabbath command in exodus it reflected his creation pattern we already saw that god worked and then he rested later in deuteronomy which was our reading today when the israelites were given the commandments a second time before they entered the promised land The reason God gives for keeping the Sabbath is not related to that creation pattern of work and rest. It's related to his salvation and his deliverance of his people from slave labor in the land of Egypt. And so in a way, when we take a break, what we're saying is work, activity, busyness is not my salvation. God is my salvation through the work of his son who in his dying breath said, It is finished. The work of salvation is finished, and you and I, friends, contribute nothing to it. Justin Early, author of the book The Common Rule, which we've been recommending and using, he puts it like this. In the deep stillness of habitual Sabbath, that's a rest, the truth of the world begins to sink in. I am not necessary and that's the beauty of grace we rest from the work under the work we realize we're not necessary God keeps the world spinning God provides for my needs and God is my salvation so I can take a break well We need to ground this idea of rest in a spiritual discipline or what we're calling a godly habit. And we've chosen the habit of Sabbath. It's actually the most obvious habit that attaches to the concept of rest. And yet it is one of the least practiced habits. According to our survey results, only about a quarter of people practice Sabbath rest. And that's the quarter of you, uh, a quarter of you who actually filled out the survey. I mean, that doesn't include all you who are too busy to fill it out. Well, Sabbath just means rest, and it became associated with a a full day of rest for the reasons we've already described. Jews typically celebrated it from dusk on Friday to dusk on Saturday. Christians appropriated Sunday, the day we recognize Jesus being raised from the dead for their Sabbath. I wonder if you knew that it's only uh, recently in the Western world that Saturdays weren't officially work days also and when saturday afternoons were first given as time off it was at least one of the reasons was to allow people to prepare for a sunday sabbath even though most australian workers prepared by drinking and watching the footy now these days we're of course very blasé about specifics and it's very tempting for me to become pharisaical by insisting on what you must do and what you cannot do in order to practice the sabbath but instead i'm hoping that i can Lay out some principles, perhaps, and then paint a picture of what Sabbath could be like for you. So first principle, do something avocational. It's got nothing to do with avocados. It is just meaning not connected to your vocation, your ordinary employment. Uh, so, for example, if you're a gardener, don't do gardening. Uh, if you're in administration, don't send emails on a Sabbath. If you're a parent of young kids, just ignore them from a whole day. Kidding, of course. Uh, Although it might mean your spouse who does less parenting during the week might do the heavy lifting of the parenting for a stretch over the weekend. You might need to lock your computer away to make this work. You might need to put your phone to bed. You might need to tell customers or clients that you're going to be uncontactable other than in emergencies for a, a stretch of the weekend. You might even need to work a little bit harder and longer during the week in order to rest well, to do something avocational, to not work. Second principle, do something relational. You know the Sabbath and the Old Testament religious festivals were community affairs, so involve people in your rest. Maybe think about your time together being over a simple meal or a trip to the beach or a park rather than being a massive hullabaloo third principle do something worshipful because rest is not just about sleeping in uh, catching up with buddies over brunch and having a hit of tennis you know when God first gave the Israelites Sabbath instructions they were to celebrate it unto the Lord now we talked a lot about personal devotions last week thinking about it most of us will have our best chance of taking a, a weekly Sabbath on a Sunday And so it's likely that rest will involve gathering for a worship service. And isn't that right? It ought to be right that the highest conceivable form of leisure is in the worship of God, in the praise of our Creator, and not just in the enjoyment of His creation. Worship, it'll retrain our thoughts to be more like His thoughts. It will lift our vision to see His great vision for our lives. But of course, that might mean we need to change the way that we approach a worship service. But worshipful, being worshipful um, is part of Sabbath practice. And then fourth principle, do something enjoyable. And hopefully it's not too hard for you to figure out what that might be. Now, I reckon already you'll have looked at those four things and you'll have worked out that it requires thoughtful preparation in order to practice a Sabbath, a period of time, perhaps even a 24-hour period of rest with our work. It's going to require us to be more intentional than, than merely counting down the hours and days of the working week until we can go out for drinks on a Friday night. You might, for example, need to make your plans, do your organizing earlier. You might need to bring forward the work you might otherwise do or put some of it off until later. If say Sunday is not gonna be like every other day of the week where you just squeeze as many things into the day as you can, you might need to say no to some opportunities, to some invitations in order to be able to say yes to Sabbath rest. Now to the families among us, I will say your kids don't need to do everything. They will not die if they don't get to play in three teams, if they don't learn three instruments, if they don't go to every party. You don't need to do it all. Some of us might need to hit up our housework earlier or do the shopping for the week earlier or make dinner preparations earlier. It actually takes a bit of work in order to rest well. Or perhaps to put it the other way around, if you're lazy, you'll never rest, at least not properly. Anyway, here's a picture of what it could be like. So borrow the bits that work for you. Uh, You may not have rest on a Sunday. You may not be able to rest for a whole day if you're caring for young children or aging parents, or if you're studying medicine, or you're setting up a new business. Although I will say, if you can take a 24 hour period of working, your life will improve dramatically. But let me paint a picture nonetheless. The working week has been demanding. Uh, it was a real battle with clients, competitors, other staff, even the boss. You stayed back late on Thursday and Friday afternoons to get everything, actually as it turns out not everything, finished up. Saturday was a bit of a wrestle too with your, your kids' games in a number of different locations, a challenge for everyone who hasn't developed the gift of omnipresence. And on Saturday afternoon there's a few chores around the house as well. You don't mind them too much because you feel better about your place being a little bit tidier. And your husband doesn't mind doing the mowing because it's the only time all week he actually sees the fruit of his labor. Well, you saw Scott and Carolyn at Woolies when you both were out doing the weekly shop. Scott looked like he was in a rush to get out of there, idiot. But between the pair of you, the chicken is marinated for dinner and the salad has been prepared and you just bought ice cream for dessert because, well, that's everyone's favourite anyway. You had to take a work call in the afternoon, but that was a good chance to remind your colleague that you're going to be offline until Sunday night. And and then it just seemed like the weekend opens up. I mean, it's noisy in the house, but it's happy noise. It's a light kind of noise. And your friends arrive a bit early for dinner. I mean, who, who does that? But you don't mind because you're ready and you're not too fussy and dinner is slow and relaxed and everybody helps clean up and you put the dishes in the dishwasher without even rinsing them and you wake up the next morning feeling good and the day feels open as well your husband prepares brekkie for everyone let's be honest he's supervising it and you leave enough time to get ready for church so you're not rushing because the car park gets fuller the later you are and you wouldn't normally pray as a family before you get in the car, but you happen to forget this morning. But it's okay because you just pray to yourself in between the car park and the church. And you're preparing yourself to listen well and to encourage others and to really seek the face of God in prayer and to lift up his name in praise and song. And you know what? Lo and behold, it seems to make a world of difference to your morning. You'll have to attend to some emails in the evening or check them at least. But after lunch, you could hang with friends or read a book or take a nap while the kids watch a movie or just lie in the sun on a rug and look at the clouds. And so you don't even mind firing up the laptop on Sunday evening to get ready for the week ahead because you feel rested. Well, I wonder, could that be you or even a part of it? If not, that's okay. But what are you doing to rest from work and rest from the work under the work and to rest in the finished work of Jesus, to be unnecessary and yet still so valuable to him? Amen.